Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today comes from the most recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium, and the topic was sustaining a high-performance culture in times of change. The panelists who spoke about the topic were Kathy Kay, the Chief Information Officer of Principal Financial Group, and Josh McLean, the Chief Information Officer of World Fuel Services. The gentleman who led the conversation was MetaStrategy Co-Head of Research, Media, and Executive Networks, Stephen Norton. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. And now for a word from our partner, Quantify, and the company's co-founder and president, Asif Hassan. Asif, what do you see as differentiating factors between those companies that successfully harness the power of AI and those that don't? Sure. So, Peter, in the last 10 years, uh, we've done over 2,500 AI projects across over 350 customers in nine industries. And we see a few common patterns in the ones who have got it right. So the first factor is culture. The most successful organizations foster a culture of curiosity and experimentation. Second is the presence of a champion, someone who's a true believer in the power of AI and is willing to let the team experiment, fail, learn, and evolve. Third, of course, the technology and talent enablement plays a big role. And the last, but definitely not the least, these businesses have thought about the human aspect of the work that they are going to do with AI. And when the confluence of these factors has happened, we have seen magic happen, and these customer relationships have grown bigger and faster than what we would have ever imagined. And now on to the interview. Uh, pivoting to the next topic, today we're going to talk about culture. And you can't separate culture from strategy or transformation or innovation or any of those things. Um, and as many of you also know, getting culture right is both an art and a science. Culture in many ways is deciding how technology is going to show up across the organization, identifying and articulating key behaviors, seeing trouble spots and remediating them as quickly as possible, and really turning culture into an accelerant for the organization. Uh, and with that, I'm very excited to welcome um, two great leaders who think really deeply about culture uh, to the virtual stage today to talk about just that. Um, first, I'd love to introduce Kathy Kay. She's the Chief Information Officer at Principal Financial Group. It's a nearly 150-year-old Fortune 500 global investment management leader headquartered in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, they offer retirement, insurance, and asset management services, among others. Um, before joining Principal, she was the Vice President of Business Technology and CIO at Pacific Gas and Electric, and has held leadership roles at SunTrust Bank, Comerica, and General Motors, just to name a few. Uh, and she joined Principal in 2020, and so I, culture is going to be an interesting topic today, <laughs> in part for uh, <laughs> your, your experience entering an organization at a time when we were all really reevaluating what, what work even was supposed to be, and how cultures were going to be reshaped as a, as a result of the events of that time. Um, I'd also love to welcome Josh McLean, the CIO at World Fuel Services, uh, nearly $60 billion in revenue, energy, commodities, and services company based in Miami. Uh, he's been with the company for about five years, took on the CIO role in October of last year. Um, he was previously based in Australia. He moved to the U.S. to take on this role. If you have a chance, check out the, the Technovation podcast that Josh did with Peter a few weeks ago. A great story on his journey here to the States. Um, and some of his past companies include... Uh, Telstra and Suncorp in Australia. Josh and Kathy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Likewise. Thank you, Steve. Of course. And, and I'm so excited for this conversation because I know that culture is near and dear to both of you. Um, you think really deeply about how to develop high-performing agile cultures, how you level people up, how you prepare the leaders of the future. Uh, but you're also thinking a lot about how to take culture from something that is often a buzzword and turn it into something tangible, something you can measure progress against and really start to see how culture becomes a force multiplier for your organization. 
Um, so Kathy, I thought we might start with you. As we mentioned a moment ago, you joined in uh, May 2020 when things were a little bit different than they are now. I did, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but got a bit of a unique perspective on an organization at a big time of change. And I, I'd love to hear from you how how the culture showed up when you first arrived and how it's been evolving since you've been there and sort of how you thought about the culture at, at principle as a whole. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I and I do want to start by saying while I joined May first, I actually got to interview in person and meet some people in person. So it helped a little. But um, what I would say is one of the things that I love about principle is the culture. And I'm, you know, so I'm glad I get to talk about it, but it was something that was that it has been important to me in my career um, because what I've realized is if the culture is um, not core to who you are as a person, if you can't align to the values of the company, you're always going to be in conflict when you're working there. And so that is something that I really loved. Uh, because I joined in the pandemic and we were all remote, I did have an advantage that because everybody was remote, it was kind of like the same experience from all of my teams globally. We were all going on video. Um, we were all experiencing some of the, um, the same things. And I will say, I think joining in the pandemic allowed me to actually develop relationships uh, much more deeply, more quickly, because you, I had the window into their families as well, right? You had kids running in and out, you had animals coming in and out. And I think it really um, caused our relationships to get much deeper, more quickly because of that. Um, segue to now kind of moving through the pandemic. I mean, it, it has always been one of our focuses, not just for me, but for our entire leadership team of making sure that People are feeling connected. People are feeling valued. They're getting the right support that they need. Um, we're doing things that make sure they understand how their contributions matter. So it's kind of core to who we are. Um, I was able to take advantage of some of those things that we already had in place, but also tried to do some other things to connect with people in different ways. And it's something we just have to continue doing because of the nature of our workforce that is somewhat hybrid, some totally remote, and then some that are here all the time in office. So um, it is just an ongoing learning process. Absolutely, but I think you've identified an interesting silver lining in that you were able to really build some of those cultural foundations as a result of everyone having more or less uh, similar experiences when you join. That's, that's really interesting. Um, Josh, turning it over to you. So in the past, we've talked about how the ways that your teams are organized and how that really plays a big role in the culture of your organization. I wonder if you could just walk us through some of the, the big elements of that cultural evolution of world fuel services that you've seen. Yeah, um, I look after about 500 people globally uh, in all parts of IT, from support operations to security, everything in between. Um, what I've learned along the way that if you would like to build a high-performing teams, which can mean a lot of things, the way you're organized can heavily influence that. And so what I mean by that is a lot of high-performing teams, there's a sense of accountability, there's a sense of ownership, there's a sense of pride. Um, there's also quality in what they do. When I first started at WorldFuel, it was organized or IT was organized in a very traditional production support and projects model. 
Um, and I've been a developer and I've worked in this model and it can create very much a divide between the two teams. Um, production support are woken up at night for things the projects teams did, but the project teams never get to experience that and everything in between. One of the first things we did um, was completely reorganized all of IT into um, based off a of Spotify principles or a product model, which is cross-functional teams organized around assets. Um, but these teams own everything. They own support, they own all projects, enhancement, security, you name it. You are, you build it, you own it model. Um, and what that did as part of the other kind of elements of our strategy and people and talent was almost overnight improved our um, critical incident response to the meantime to restore because there was a designated team that when an incident happened, owned it and uh, saw that through to completion. So that's been one of the biggest kind of benefits or outcomes we've received at World Fuel simply by reorganizing ourselves. All right, thank you. And I, I know you've also put some, some metrics around measuring the culture. Can you talk a bit about some of those measurements that you use to make sure that the company's culture is evolving in a positive direction or maybe identifying some of those trouble spots as the case may be? Yeah. Um... I'm a big believer in metrics. Uh, a lot of opinion and fact can be thrown around, but if you've got some metrics, then you, you simply replace that opinion with fact. But it also helps you get to root cause. Uh, a couple of things I always look for uh, in three main categories. One is operations, particularly as any IT team. You, you, you're, um, if you're not um, have a stable operating environment and you're not got a very good delivery cadence, you, that's for me, those things are evidence that your culture is heading in the right direction. So for example, in operations, your critical incidents and your mean time to restore. So how often are they happening? How quickly can you resolve it? It gives evidence of that accountability and ownership. And when it comes to delivery, uh, there's Dora metrics, which is kind of frequency of deployments, quality, things like that. So that's a universal metric regarding across any industry. You can benchmark yourself of what good looks like in that. Uh, so we measure a lot of that. Um, and then in the people side of things, um, whether it's retention, even performance management, I look at a lot of performance management to see how that happens because you, you, performance management means for me, if it's not happening, it means you're not having good constructive conversations with people. People really want to learn, they want to grow, but part of that in order to do that is through feedback. Um, another one we do is around uh, leadership um, advocacy. So we send a survey out just using NPS every quarter that asks two questions and it goes to everyone in, in the whole area. And that's, um, would you recommend your leader to a friend and would you recommend your team to a friend? And those uh, results are made transparent and also comments. So that gives us all an indication of on a frequent basis, how, um, how the advocacy for your leader and your team is going. Gotcha. Um, Kathy, turning it back to you, uh, we've we've spoken actually we've both spoken a little bit in the past about the need for cultural transformation to be leader led, and I would love to get your perspectives on how you and your leadership teams show up differently, and how you embody the traits that you really want to see in the rest of the teams. And would love to learn just what that journey has been, what kind of skills you've had to develop, and and how you really try to show up differently for your teams. Sure. Um, you know, I will. So one of the things I think that is mo in, most important for every leader is to be our authentic self. Right. Um, it, and 
if you can't show vulnerability, if you can't share an openness with your teams at any level, um, I think it sets a tone for maybe people feeling uh, maybe less open, a little bit guarded to have the right kinds of conversations. So I think first and foremost, I am always doing a gut check of, am I really showing up you know, as as I really am. I don't want airs about myself. I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. And I want to make sure that they're comfortable giving me feedback um, if there is some level of discomfort. Um, so, and then from a leadership perspective, we have actually been having a lot of discussions on this because um, one, I was new to, to this this organization. A lot of my leaders have been here for quite a long time and had a, a leader, you know, that they had for a long time. And so I wanted to make sure that I didn't disrupt those types of things that worked well for the teams from a leader support perspective or uh, making sure that uh, we are able to remove blockers, things like that. Um, so I thought that I we we spent a lot of time on that. But then as new leaders started coming in as well, we started talking about how we need to show up as an organization, as a team. One of the things we used a lot of is listening to our people. So what are we have engagement surveys, pulse surveys, if you will. Um, I host an informal discussion with my team um, that, you know, anybody can join and really talk about whatever might be on their mind. And all of that helps shape, you know, some of the things that we need to do as leaders. Are we being inclusive? We say we are, we better show, you know, we better make sure that that's how people are feeling. Are they, are they able to, to um, have their voice heard? You know, and then how we're partnering, how we're showing up with our business partners too. Are we getting that seat at the table? Have we developed that trust? Are we able to challenge, you know, um, and have a voice to help in, inform them on things that maybe could help their business run more effectively, or maybe where we might not be aligned from a strategic perspective. And so being able to model that as well as um, sharing, even when it's been difficult. I, you know, an example yesterday, I had to present uh, to our, our marketing organization. It's really uncomfortable for an IT person to talk in front of a bunch of marketers who are very creative. And so that's how I opened and just said, you know what, I'm a little nervous because you guys are the ones who usually help me put all the creative messaging together. And here I am in front of you talking about some things that I hope are interesting to you. And so just setting that tone of it's okay to be nervous, it's okay to be uncomfortable, um, but willingness to share it, I think just sort of um, opens the door for some really rich conversations. Absolutely, I think that openness would be, be much appreciated. Uh, I'm, I'm curious for both of you actually, maybe Kathy will stick with you, but how do you respond when you identify something that is misaligned. I know we've talked a little bit in the past about agile theater, where there are behaviors that, you know, in word may be what's supposed to happen, but indeed really isn't always representing kind of that, that cultural change that you're trying to push. And so how do you then think about responding to that and kind of stepping in to make sure that alignment gets reset? Yeah, so I'm I'm not apprehensive to call it out, right? But doing it in a constructive way. 
asking open-ended questions, or even just saying, hey, there's something going on that seems misaligned. Um, we're in the middle of really, you know, going down our journey of moving all our workloads to the cloud. We're making some pretty significant investments in things that will enable our uh, business strategy. And there is some things that seem a little misaligned. So having when you have those conversations, what I'm learning is we're not really misaligned. We're saying things a little differently that are just getting perceived as being different. And so being able to talk through that and especially modeling it. So I'm not uncomfortable talking with my peer in front of our teams, right? Of saying, I'm feeling like we might be misaligned. Am I misunderstanding? Um, so that they can see that it is okay to challenge, it's okay to express a concern, um, and it's okay to, to state what you're seeing that might be misaligned to how you were thinking about something, um, but I do not hesitate. Now, if it seems like it might be contentious or maybe, um, you know, there might be somebody who might feel put on the spot then I, you know, then I will take that offline and, and not do it in a public forum, but just have a conversation offline that says, hey, I was feeling a little bit like there was something going wrong, but let me make sure that we're we're still on the same page. But then if there is something going wrong, let's just fix it, right? Let's not let it stew and let our teams get out of alignment. Um, let's just work on it and, and um, fix that. Absolutely. Sounds but it's, you know, sometimes you're a little, <laughs> there's just so many messages that could take it, be taken differently. And so I think just constantly keeping the communication open is, is incredibly critical. Absolutely. And related to that, Josh, I'd love to get your perspective on this too. We talked a little bit about feedback and how to give it, when to give it so that it's going to be most constructive. Um, have there been any practices that have worked for you or, or things that you've worked with your teams on to help make sure that that clear message is, is making it where it needs to go? Yeah, look, I think feedback's essential as kind of Kathy alluded to as well. Um, maybe what to put it into perspective, uh, one thing we've, we've done is almost define the attributes that is the expectations of a leader that will form the culture we want. So we have six attributes that every leader is measured by. Uh, that's uh, first is forming teams. How well as a leader do you form teams? You're only as good as the team you have around you. Uh, two is around distributing work. How do you uh, make sure that work is organized and effectively flows through the, the process um, as frictionless as possible? How do you attract and retain talent? Um, very much linked to forming teams as a leader. You're, I think it's one of the critical jobs we have. Uh, how do you measure what matters? Back to the measurement questions, um, building those metrics and measures into your uh, into your teams. Your listen, learn, and leverage. I think a lot of IT people um, can be very down and in, and I think curiosity is a great asset and behavior to have. So be listen, learn, and leverage of what's happening out there for your craft or whatever issue or problem you have to solve. And then the impact and influence. As a leader, how is your impact and influence have within your team, outside your team, and, and up and beyond? Um, so we use those attributes to frame the feedback uh, we, you know, we provide to people. And for example, for me, um, all my direct reports, once a month, uh, we meet and we have a deliberate session which is catered around those attributes. And they come in to me and, and they are prepared with stories or evidence against these attributes of where they think they've done well and where they think they need improvement. 
Um, and we have a rating scale, which we do the annual, annual performance reviews, but I actually use that rating scale on a monthly basis. And the aim is to be all on the same page, but it, it, I find the feedback, if you lay that foundation, then the feedback isn't personal. It's against a framework that makes it a, a lot more constructive to have. And the more frequently you do that, then the individuals are coming in, almost self-assessing themselves. So when it makes for me to do it, I just kind of um, use little stories around the edges. So I found that as a technique, very, very productive. Can I add one more thing? Um, my team is a global team. I have resources all over the world. And one of the things that I think when you have a global organization, I know it's obvious, but in practice, it's incredibly important. You have to make sure how you're communicating will be um, received re in the country, you know, the way you want them to receive it. So certain words have meanings that could be very different when you're in a different part of the, the world. Um, the way you have the interaction could be viewed as contentious in another part of the world, but perfectly normal here. And I, so I think it's incredibly important to understand some of the local norms um, so that you can also make sure that, again, the way you're showing up and the way you're messaging is received in the way you really want it to be, given who you're meeting with and the country you're in. Absolutely. That actually the transitions nicely to what I wanted to ask about, which is, you know, as, as work returns to, I, I hesitate to say normal, but as we <laughs> continue to rebalance and think about the the distributed nature of our teams, that mix of hybrid and in-person work. Uh, I, I'm curious if there are any sorts of new behaviors or new practices that that you've really had to reinforce in order to make things work in this increasingly distributed and more often hybrid situation. Um, Josh, any any tips that you could offer? Uh, look, I think that, I mean, much like as Kathy said, heavily, uh, my team's heavily uh, global, very distributed, different um, areas and, and whatnot. But one thing we, we and we are all, it's optional. We're all work from home. We have 80 offices globally. They're not, they're not very occupied at the moment. But one thing we, we do do differently now, I, I stole this phrase from someone, um, if this is not mine, but if you're going to come into the office, um, there's a phrase called presence with a purpose. So make sure it has a purpose to it. So a lot of our events we have where we're either co-locating people is, is around a purpose. Um, next week, for example, I have a number of strategy days where my team is flying in. So it, it's very much around problem solving or there's something that's really collaborative happening. Um, now, we used to do that, but we do that more deliberately now as a result of kind of hybrid. Um, probably the other aspect is more communications via different uh, mediums and channels, whether it's Slack, whether it's email, whether it's video, whatever it may be, it's more and more communications on a weekly um, basis as well. I find that's been something I didn't do in the past, that we're doing a lot more now, and it's been um, well received. Thank you. Yeah, from both of your comments, it's it's really interesting to kind of observe how the, the role of the technology leader has evolved, and really any, any leader uh, in this case, but it's more intention, more communications, more frequent versions of all of that. And going back to what you were talking about, Josh, being able to meet with members of your team more frequently allows them to also start asking themselves, hey, how am I showing up? And you get that kind of routine of reflection that that everyone can engage in and, and hopefully trickles down throughout the organization. Uh, thank you for, for the insights there. 
Uh, I do want to go back briefly to the, the panel before on, on generative AI. There was so much great insight shared there about the need for education, about the need for behavior change, and, and again, to how technology shows up in the organization. And be curious to hear, um, Kathy, maybe we can start with you, how, how you're approaching this within principle and, and how you see that evolving as the technology continues to, to be embedded across a number of services. Sure. Um, so I'll start by saying we've been leveraging AI and machine learning for quite a while across different areas of principle. So it's not new to us. But when generative AI came out, because of the adoption rate, um, you know, we wanted to make sure, A, we didn't stifle our ability to be innovative, but we also wanted to make sure we kind of keep our teammates out of harm's way, right? And um, so we, we have a cross-functional group of both um, business leaders as well as IT re, um, leaders. We have risk in there, our cyber team, um, to look at the use cases, how we can apply it, and how we make sure we do it in a safe way. Um, and then how we make sure most of all, we're not introducing any sort of biases as, you know, as we're leveraging these things. So um, I would say we don't have a lot out in the wild in production. We have several different um, use cases that we've been that we've been doing that have actually shown promise that have gotten us some good business outcomes um, in a, both in IT as well as in various business organizations. Uh, but we are heading into it a little bit cautiously just to make sure we understand all the ramifications of these things like privacy and, and um, you know, the bias learning. Absolutely. Josh, any, anything that you're, you're, you're doing that's similar or, or maybe diverges a little bit? Very much along the same lines of what Kathy um, is doing as well. So not not stifling it, but uh, certainly supporting and encouraging in a safe way. What it really has highlighted for us as well is is our data policy um, up to date and accurate. So I think that's where it's a lot of his attention has turned. Um, it simply triggered it, but uh, that's probably the only thing I'd add to to that one on top of Kathy's. Yeah, interesting to think about how that that data layer ends up becoming a, a big, big influence on, on ultimate culture at the end of the day too. Uh, well, wonderful. With the last couple of minutes that we have, uh, we've obviously covered a lot of ground here and I, you've shared a ton of insights about how you're, you're driving high performance culture within your organizations. But for the folks in the audience who are, are maybe trying to figure out how do I diagnose a challenge in my culture or how do I kind of take that to the next level? Are there any tips or things that have worked particularly well for you that we haven't mentioned so far that, that we can give the audience to, to walk away with? Uh, Kathy, can I start with you? Yeah, I would say don't hesitate to talk about what might be on your mind. Um, I've always found when I frame it as, hey, this is something that is bothering me. You know, can we talk through it? Um, it, it sort of takes any sort of defensiveness that might come out, but certainly I think the more you develop relationships, the more you understand and make sure everybody's included and is able to have a voice, um, the more your culture thrives, the more your performance thrives, um, but, you know, start with yourself and make sure you're being your best authentic self, and I think great things happen. Excellent. Um Josh, over to you. Uh, look, I, I've 
um, I believe and I want to be in an environment that is high-performing culture. Um, what I've learned along the way is that is underpinned by the quality of talent you have. Talented folks, um, in my experience, generally, roughly, they want they look for three things. Um, is there a, um, a very aspirational goals um, that has a sense of gives them a sense of purpose? Is the work that they're doing very, very challenging and helps them learn and grow? And are they surrounded by other highly talented people? Um, so I think what I've, and I try to think of those and, and make sure that those things are all um, present and in harmony or a work in progress to get there. Um, I'd leave with that. Excellent. Two, two great lessons. One, make sure you yourself are, are in the place that you need to be and having that uh, regular sense of, of self-assessment and make sure you're showing up in the right way. Um, but then also making sure you're providing that, that foundation of aspirational goals and, and highly skilled and talented people around them, which ties back to the strategy piece we talked about at the beginning. Well, Kathy, Josh, thank you so much for the fantastic conversation. It's been a pleasure. And um, I hope that you both have a great rest of your day. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dave.